In early 2011, three iconic Jeopardy! contestants took the stage. Two were already household names. Ken Jennings, who got his claim to fame with a record-breaking 74-game winning streak back in 2004. Ken. Who's Magellan? Yes, Ken. What is Nigeria? Correct. Ken. What is the Dominican Republic? Good for you. (laughs) Good anticipation. And Brad Rutter, who became a five-time champion in 2000, won three of Jeopardy's most prestigious tournaments and would eventually claim the title of Jeopardy's all-time highest money winner. But still the biggest money winner on Jeopardy. Are you kidding me? You got it. Congratulations. Thank you. The third contestant was new to the scene, but would quickly make headlines as a fierce competitor. He knew his Beatles songs. This title gal, children at your feet, wonder how you manage to make ends meet. Who is Lady Madonna? Dialects. Aeolic, spoken in ancient times, was a dialect of this. What is ancient Greek? Yes. And legal ease. This two-word phrase means the power to take private property for public use. It's okay as long as there is just compensation. What is eminent domain? You're right. And that takes you up to 15,440. And by the end of two games, the newcomer had his sights set on victory. He was going on these runs of, you know, five, six questions in a row. Uh, I was furiously trying to buzz in. I could sort of sense Ken furiously trying to buzz in. I remember standing there in that moment and thinking, well, it's kind of over. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, a look back at the historic showdown between two Jeopardy giants and a literal winning machine, Ken Jennings, Brad Rutter, and a computer called Watson. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Okay, so given where AI is today, a computer playing Jeopardy may not sound all that impressive, but in 2011, this was a big deal. We're talking about back when the iPad had just made its debut and everyone was on Skype. So when the tech giant IBM first called up our friends at Jeopardy, they didn't quite know what to make of the idea. Here's former executive producer, Harry Friedman. IBM started contacting us and saying, we're interested in making a Jeopardy computer game. And I kind of brushed it off saying, you know, we have so many Jeopardy computer games already in the market. We don't need any more, but, you know, thank you very much. 
And then a while later, he came back and said, no, maybe you misunderstood. We're looking to build a computer that could play Jeopardy against live Jeopardy players and understand spoken language. So that was a pretty high concept for that time. A high concept, yes, but this wasn't IBM's first tech rodeo. They had a string of projects dubbed IBM Grand Challenges, where they asked big science and engineering questions and came up with big answers. I think the way we would characterize IBM Grand Challenges... That's computer scientist and former IBM researcher Dave Ferrucci. ...were problems that had not been solved uh, that were known to be difficult uh, for computers to do, that no one could quite figure out how to approach it or how to solve it. And that the impact would have significance to the scientific community and or the business community of solving that problem. So one of the most famous of IBM's grand challenges was Deep Blue, the computer that played chess. If you're big into Jeopardy and all the strategy that goes into it, like yours truly, chances are you've also tried your hand at chess. Or... At the very least, you know the names Deep Blue and Garry Kasparov. But just for more context, in 1997, IBM's supercomputer Deep Blue went toe-to-toe with Kasparov, the greatest chess player in the world at the time, for a first-of-its-kind exhibition match. In this corner, weighing in at 176 pounds, 5 feet 10 inches tall, world chess champion Garry Kasparov. And in this corner, at 1.4 tons, 6 feet 5 inches, IBM supercomputer Deep Blue. The players faced off in a six-game match that lasted several days and drew media attention from across the world. Three of the games ended in a draw, but with Deep Blue's ability to process up to 100 million possible chess moves per second, the supercomputer ultimately clinched the victory. Dave Ferrucci again. It was a very exciting time, and it made headlines. It was amazing that a computer could beat the best grandmaster. But what was, of course, interesting about Deep Blue was there was a problem that was strongly associated with human intelligence. You know, only humans can do this. Which brings us to another scientific problem IBM was trying to solve in the early 2000s. One of the areas that my team had been working in was called open domain factoid question answering. And this was really a research problem where you'd give the computer just any you know question and it would have to deliver that precise answer to that question. Open domain question and answering is part of a bigger branch of computer science known as natural language processing. Basically, it was one thing to teach a computer to crack a game of chess, which when it came down to it was mostly math. It was another thing entirely to teach a computer to understand complex language. So how did Jeopardy fit into IBM's scientific quandary? Well, it had something to do with a chance encounter between the former vice president of IBM and some Jeopardy superfans. Charles Lickle was the person who got... IBM even to consider this because the story goes that he was at a restaurant when Ken Jennings had won like 70 games in a row and it was drawing this enormous audience, the biggest Jeopardy winner of all time. And crowds in like a restaurant bar were gathering around the television to watch Ken Jennings. 
And Charles Lickle was like, wow, that's a great idea for a grand challenge. And he shopped it around the executives and everybody got excited about it. And he eventually found me and um, I pitched to him why I thought it could be done. And then I was like, okay, we're going to do this. You know, at least we're going to try it. The idea that Ken Jennings, the man, the myth, the legend, could be to Watson what Gary Kasparov was to Deep Blue, clearly intriguing. But was Jeopardy ready to be the next litmus test for AI? Once again, here's Harry. It was very, very, very much a big deal to be able to build a computer that could understand spoken language. And we ultimately agreed with the thought in mind that maybe this is a rare opportunity for a game show, a quiz show, to do something pretty meaningful in ways that no other quiz show had ever done. Jeopardy! would be the first of its kind to take on something like this. They were like Rocky taking on boxing champ Apollo Creed. But the thing is, Watson also thought they were the underdog in this fight and entered into its own Rocky training montage. IBM's supercomputer had as much to prove as the show did. IBM team started developing Watson in 2007, and it took four long years of trial and error and constant experimenting before the supercomputer was game ready. One challenge was the open domain factor. If Jeopardy could ask about anything and everything, Watson, like Jeopardy contestants, needed to know, well, anything and at least almost everything. Here's Dave again. Watson was not connected to the internet. Every piece of knowledge that it was going to use, it had to be completely self-contained in the machine. Dave's team ended up feeding Watson more than 200 million pages of documents from dictionaries, encyclopedias, databases, taxonomies, books, you name it. At one point, they even thought to feed Watson all of Wikipedia. But that didn't land too well in the Jeopardy-verse. Wikipedia, shall we say, is not the kind of reliable source that we use on Jeopardy. In fact, Jeopardy researchers are forbidden from using Wikipedia. The idea was quickly scrapped, but IBM did feed Watson old Jeopardy games, which brings us to another unique challenge for Dave's team, teaching Watson to speak fluent Jeopardies. Full of puns, metaphors, and wordplay, Jeopardy's material is notoriously complex. Clues even whole categories can feel less like classic trivia and more like mini puzzles you have to solve. For example, one of my favorite categories, before and after, asks contestants to connect the dots between two seemingly unrelated things. Before and after for $800, please. Famous lingerie store's hidden nuclear warhead. Amy. What is Victoria's secret weapon? Yes. Imagine getting a computer to understand a clue like that. Clearly, the folks at IBM had their work cut out for them. Jeopardy questions were not straightforward questions from a linguistic perspective. And that just created a lot of challenges for machines at the time. So here's a great Jeopardy question. The category was ancient Roman stand-up comedy. The question, I'll tell you, it was so cold. How cold was it? It was so cold. I wish we were back in 64 when he was emperor. Hot times, if you know what I mean. That's not a straightforward question that's asking you who is the emperor of Rome in 64. But, you know, like humans look at that and they go, I know what that's asking. 
Arthur. It was Nero. Nero, right. <laughs> but for Watson, there was a bit of a learning curve. The category was New York Times headlines. An exclamation point was warranted for the end of this in 1918. And the right answer was World War I. Watson's answer? A sentence. Here's another great one. Give a Brit a tinkle when you get into town and you've done this. And the right answer was call on the phone. Watson's answer at the time was urinate. But you start to kind of appreciate, gee, how would you make a computer do this in a smart way? Sometimes Watson was too literal. Other times, Watson was just plain old-fashioned wrong. But after years of tinkering, Dave's team was getting somewhere. We had actually a number of metrics that we would measure Watson's performance on, and we would know whether or not we were actually getting better. So one was how many questions it would get right. But we would also look at how many did we get right in a particular confidence level. So if we were like 75 to 100% confident, how many would we get right? If we were 75 to 50% confident, how many would we get right? So as we got more right in general and more right in higher confidence bins, we were doing better. Not only was Watson producing way more correct responses, even to the linguistically challenging clues, he was getting much, much faster. So by 2009, the team said, let's kick the tires and try this thing out in real life. Here's Harry again. We did a bunch of uh, practice games with former Jeopardy contestants. Uh, a great host named Todd Crane ran all the games for us, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how many we did. About 60 practice games over the course of a year. But uh, it was finally determined that everything was in readiness, and so we went ahead and called the two top players at that time. After the break, a couple of Jeopardy! All-Stars learn about the new kid on the block. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I think I first heard about the Watson idea about six months before it happened. That's Jeopardy! champ Brad Rutter. And Maggie or Rocky called me up and said, hey, this is a kind of a crazy idea, but IBM is building a computer to play Jeopardy! And they want to have it play against, you know, famous champions. You're one of the guys we called, and I bet you can guess who the other guy is. I got a phone call in 
maybe late 2009, maybe early 2010 from Maggie Speak on the contestant side. It had been over five years since Ken had gotten the call, the one that transformed his life and with his 74-game winning streak transformed Jeopardy. And even though he had come back and played in some Jeopardy tournaments since then, he was feeling a little, well, I'll let him tell you. I was jonesing for a fix a little bit. I saw the 310 area code on my phone and thought, ooh, this is Jeopardy. And it was an unusual question. She said, IBM wants to build a computer to play Jeopardy. Would you be interested in playing a computer at Jeopardy? The way, the way Gary Kasparov played Deep Blue. I was obviously familiar with Deep Blue uh, playing against Kasparov. But Jeopardy is completely different. You know, you have to take in the clue think about it, and then come up with a response, which I really didn't see how a computer would be able to do. So I was fascinated, and I frankly couldn't believe that the technology was there at that time to be able to actually do it. I was really excited because, yeah, this seemed like the future I had imagined as a kid, robots and humans playing each other on game shows. But mostly I was excited because I was pretty sure I was going to win. I'd been interested in artificial intelligence my whole life. I'd taken AI classes in college, and I knew that there was no natural language question-answering algorithm that could play Jeopardy at a human level. Both Ken and Brad were curious and eager to see what IBM's so-called supercomputer, the size of 10 refrigerators, was really made of. They said yes. Actually, Ken said I will volunteer to go defend carbon-based life against the evil supercomputer from the future. Game on. The man versus machine match was scheduled for early 2011. Ken and Brad, also known as our carbon-based life forms, would have a few months to prepare. I don't think just because you were playing against a computer meant that you could prepare differently or would even have to. So I just went through these flashcards that I made with, you know, all the world capitals and Shakespeare plots and stuff like that on them. I actually still have them to this day. So uh, I just went through those and made sure all that stuff was fresh in my mind. Calm, cool, and collected. That is Brad Rutter in a nutshell. Ken, on the other hand, took a slightly different tack. Well, you want to research your opponent, at one point, Jeopardy sent over a journal article, I think a preprint of maybe the first kind of academic debut of Watson. And I remember looking at this graph that plots Jeopardy performance. On the horizontal axis is how many clues the Jeopardy player buzzes on. And on the vertical axis, it's their accuracy. How often were they correct? And there's a scatter of dots at the top showing like every human Jeopardy champion in history. So you could see what human level Jeopardy champ performance is. You have to buzz about half the time. And when you buzz, you have to be right nearly all the time, 90% or so. That's what it takes to win at Jeopardy. And at the bottom of the graph, there's this line showing the best questioning answer software in the early 2000s. And it's terrible. If it has to buzz half the time, it's hardly ever right. So machines were nowhere near humans. But then you see this line advancing upward through the graph as you get to Watson 0.8 and Watson 0.9 and Watson 1.0. And by the time the graph gets to what they call the winner's cloud, this line of machine performance is going right through human performance. Uh-oh. And then I notice over to the side of the winner's cloud, all these gray dots, 
there's a bunch of black dots. And I'm like, what are the black dots? And I'm reading through the text. The black dots to the right of the winner's cloud represent, and I turn the page, 74-time Jeopardy champion Ken Jennings during his original streak on the show. So I realize I'm the black dots. And here comes the machines. I don't know about you, but I'm getting major Jaws vibes over here. Maybe Watson wasn't a bona fide villain, but as the game day approached, it was hard not to see this grand challenge as a kind of existential struggle. I was at a press conference the day before the Watson match with the IBM engineers, and there's reporters from all over the world. And people from Hong Kong and Sydney and Paris and New York are all asking questions, and the questions are all like, yeah, uh, Dr. Ferrucci, is this the evil computer from War Games that's going to launch the missiles? No, no, no. This is the friendly computer from Star Trek. But then the next question would be like, is this the evil robot from RoboCop? Is this HAL 9000 going to push us out of an airlock? Like, it was clear that the room was full of not celebration of this new step in technology, but deep concern over humanity's future. Sounds strangely familiar. Chat GPT. It's gaining popularity for its ability to craft emails, write research papers, and answer almost any question in a matter of seconds. It is a powerful new technology with extraordinary potential, but there are also warnings about the huge risk of misuse. On the cusp of obsolescence, Ken and Brad were no longer simply rival opponents trying to outmaneuver each other on the buzzer. Instead, they were united in a mission to play America's favorite quiz show against a supercomputer and boldly go where no Jeopardy! contestant had gone before. In 1997, an IBM computer proved it could beat the world champion at chess. Now, a new IBM computer is about to take on two champions on a slightly more challenging game board. Coming in February, IBM's computer Watson puts all its microchips on the line in the Jeopardy! IBM Challenge. Good luck, Watson. Only on Jeopardy! Coming in February. The pressure was on for Team Humans, but also for IBM. They had poured a lot of money, time, and resources into Watson. And like any Jeopardy! player's entourage, they wanted their player to win. The stakes were so high for IBM at that point because we knew the realities of how easily this game can flip because of daily doubles, the way Jeopardy! works. You can be way ahead and then in the last few questions lose the game. So it was incredibly tense. But IBM had one thing going for them right out of the gate. Every time I'd ever played Jeopardy! before, it was on you know these cozy confines of the Jeopardy! set in Culver City, California. But the Watson games didn't happen there. Trading sunshine for snow, the Jeopardy! games would take place at IBM's T.J. Watson Research Center in the suburbs of New York. They had Watson set up at the White Plains IBM campus, so it really definitely felt like an away game. It had decked out uh, an auditorium to look like a miniature Jeopardy! set. And uh, I remember Ken and I kind of looking at each other and not being really sure what to make of this. You know, we felt like test pilots or Mercury astronauts or something. I remember he said something funny. I think this was Brad's line. We walked into the IBM auditorium and he says, ooh, this is an away game for humanity. An away game for humanity. More on that after the break. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. 
We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in, hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> and we agree on some things, but not on everything. I, Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. No, Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. We're back. Once again, we're thinking about what the world might look like once we lose, stop using, or just run out of things that feel essential to our existence. What happens when we can't rely on fossil fuels anymore? Is eating meat really all that ethically dubious? How are ads shaping our impulses, and what happens if they go away? So join us as we try to piece together what happens when the things we've taken for granted start to disappear. From Hyperobject Industries and Sony Music Entertainment, listen to Without wherever you get your podcasts. From the T.J. Watson Research Center in Yorktown Heights, New York, this is Jeopardy! The IBM Challenge. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy! Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome, everyone, to a very special Jeopardy! event. February 14th, 2011. It was the moment everyone had been waiting for. Three lecterns, two humans, one supercomputer. Johnny, let's meet our contestants. In 2000, he became a five-time champion and went on to win three of Jeopardy's most prestigious tournaments, earning a record $3.2 million. Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Rutter. And now our next player. In 2004, his record-breaking 74-game win streak... Ken. Who is Aristophanes? Ken. What's the Trojan horse? Ken. Who is Jean Lafitte? Ken. What's the dodo? Ken. What is Stella? set a standard for excellence that may never be equal. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Jennings. And now, the newcomer, developed and programmed especially for this moment, making its first appearance on our national television program. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Watson. Jeopardy! had made a couple of accommodations for the exhibition match. There would be no wardrobe changes between the two games. People were pretty keen on keeping things moving. And because Watson technically couldn't see, there wouldn't be any video clues. But everything else was kind of business as usual. I mean, except for the whole computer thing. Of course, you can't get around the fact that at the middle podium, there's not a human. There's like a machine armature. It was really just a flat screen TV on its side with cables running to the servers elsewhere. But you were always aware that it was a non-human presence. Because normally, you know, you're turning your head, you're chatting with the other players. Watson, not so chatty. The other thing that stood out to Ken and Brad, the studio audience. This auditorium was also packed with a bunch of IBM employees who were all rooting for Watson. Each of us was allowed to bring one guest, I think, but the rest of the stands were full of IBM executives and engineers and board members and shareholders. 
And they were just all cheering on their little darling. You are about to witness what may prove to be an historic competition, an exhibition match pitting an IBM computer system against the two most celebrated and successful players in Jeopardy! history. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Fun and a little unnerving. Deep breaths for Ken and Brad. It was time to play Jeopardy! Our first round of play contains these categories. Literary character APB, all points bulletin. Beatles people, Olympic oddities, name the decade, final frontiers, and alternate meanings. Let's take alternate meanings for 200, Alex. Four-letter word for a vantage point or a belief. Red. What is a view? Yes. Uh, Alternate meanings, 400. Four-letter word for the iron fitting on the hoof of a horse or a card-dealing box in a casino. Watson. What is shoe? You are right. You get to pick. Literary character, APB, for 800. Answer, the Daily Double. Now, Watson, although you have but $400, you know, of course, that you can risk up to the maximum value of a clue on the board, and that is 1000 1000 please. All right, here is the Daily Double clue for you. Wanted for killing Sir Danvers Carew. Appearance pale and dwarfish. Seems to have a split personality. Who is Hyde? Hyde, yes. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, either one acceptable. You're now in the lead with 1400 Watson was off to an impressive start, glowing green with every correct response. But by the end of the single Jeopardy round, Brad had caught up. He and Watson were tied for the lead with $5,000, and Ken wasn't far behind with $2,000. The single Jeopardy round had been sort of like exactly how you would expect three evenly matched competitors to play. But in the double Jeopardy round, something shifted. Watson started going on these runs of, you know, five, six questions in a row. A Dana Carvey character on Saturday Night Live. Isn't that special? Watson. Who is the church lady? Yes. Hedgehog podge for 400. Some hedgehogs enter periods of torpor. The Western European species spends the winter in this dormant condition. Watson again. What is hibernation? Right. Cambridge for 400. With much gravity, this young fellow of Trinity became the Lucasian Professor of Mathematics in 1669. Watson. Who is Isaac Newton? You are right. I was furiously trying to buzz in. I could sort of sense Ken furiously trying to buzz in. And uh, we just had not much of a shot at all to do it. So uh, the biggest thing I took away was like, wow, this thing is really fast on the buzzer. Ah, the buzzer. Like our resident expert Fritz Holtznagel would say, Reaction time on the buzzer can make or break your Jeopardy game. And Watson's reaction time? Well, it was pretty darn close to perfect. I think the uh, time for Watson to buzz in was settled at a tenth of a second, which actually makes it all the more impressive that Ken and I could ever get in when Watson was trying to buzz in. It had a little mechanical thumb that pushed a little metal tab up and down on a button. You know, a high schooler could have built it, but it was incredibly fast. When Watson wanted to get in, Watson got in first. And when it didn't, there were two human players. So Brad and I would have to split those points. And it was a subtlety that was lost on me until we were playing and I realized, oh, this is a real disadvantage for carbon-based life here. 
there was a second disadvantage for Team Human. Watson had been sandbagging us. We had kind of played it to a draw in the rehearsal games. But it turned out there was a turbo button on Watson, and they could set it from rehearsal mode to game mode. And suddenly, it was playing with more aggressive strategies. It started hunting for daily doubles earlier. But I thought it was fair play. You know, a human player could do that, too. A human player could kind of sandbag during rehearsals in hopes of smoking its opponents out of the gate once the real game started. A little pro tip for all you Jeopardy hopefuls out there. Sometimes the hustle works. By the end of the first game, Watson had a commanding lead over Ken and Brad. But the machine still had some weak spots. You could see in game one immediately what Watson could do and what Watson could not do. When clues were very short, for example, Watson didn't have enough time to think. You know, Watson needs Alex reading for a few seconds to decide whether or not it's going to buzz. So one category that Ken and I did really well in was a category called Actors Who Direct. And the clue was just the name of the film and the year, and you had to name the director. Rocky two, three, and four. Brad. Who is Sylvester Stallone? Correct. Actors Who Direct 400. Million Dollar Baby and Unforgiven. Brad. Who is Clint Eastwood? Yep. Um, Actors Who Direct 800. The Great Debaters. Ken. Who is Denzel Washington? You got him. Uh, Actors Who Direct for 600, please. The Pledge and Into the Wild. Ken. Who is Sean Penn? Right. So shorter clues weren't great for Watson, but his biggest blunder came in the final Jeopardy round of game one. Final Jeopardy category is U.S. cities, and here is the clue. Its largest airport is named for a World War II hero. Its second largest for a World War II battle. 30 seconds, players. Good luck. The correct response? What is Chicago? Watson's response? What is Toronto? With a lot of question marks, which means, of course, that Watson had many, many doubts. Hmm, maybe those machines are more like us than we thought. But even with the occasional flubs and botched guesses, Watson was a force. Ken tried to catch him in game two, but when Watson found the second daily double, that was the final nail in the proverbial coffin. We went into Final Jeopardy knowing that it was a foregone conclusion. Watson had run away with this thing. And Brad and I both knew the Final Jeopardy clue immediately. The category is 19th century novelists, and here is the clue. William Wilkinson's An Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia inspired this author's most famous novel. 30 seconds, players, good luck. By the time the music starts, my answer's already there. And I'm like, oh, I've got 30 full seconds. I can write whatever I want. No, no evil IBM computer can stop me. Over to Ken Jennings now. 18,200 going in. Bram Stoker is what we're looking for. And we find, who is Stoker? I, for one, welcome our new computer overlords. <laughs> <laughs> and your wager. The wager was $1,000. I remember the Simpsons joke of... Uh, Kent Brockman, the newscaster, immediately embracing and selling out to Earth's new alien oppressors. And I thought, well, I mean, Watson can kick my butt at Jeopardy, apparently, but I bet it doesn't try a joke here. We'll take that point for Team Human. 
But what Watson lacked in good old Jeopardy humor and wit, he made up for in the final Jeopardy round, taking home the title of champion. Now we come to Watson. We're looking for Bram Stoker. And we find... Who is Bram Stoker and the wager? Brad finished the match with a cumulative score of $21,600, Ken with $24,000, and Watson a whopping $77,147. IBM was ecstatic, as was Dave, but he was also kind of relieved. One of the things I feared the most going in was that we'd lose that game and that would make the headlines and no one would really understand what we had accomplished. So it was a huge relief for the win to represent the reality that we had, in fact, achieved the goal. But a win for the machines meant a loss for Team Human. And that was hard to contend with in a variety of ways. When Watson ultimately won, I felt pretty dejected. Uh, You know, I had actually never lost on Jeopardy ever before that. So it was that was a new feeling for me. I'm on Team Humans. You know, if I wasn't going to win, I was rooting for Ken. And uh, it just wasn't even close. Losing on Jeopardy is never any fun. But, you know, if I lose to Brad Rutter, I like and respect Brad. But losing to a computer, I just kind of felt obsolete. You know, I felt like a auto factory worker in the 80s looking at the robot that was going to replace it on the line. You know, it used to be an essential human trait to know things. But the Watson match was the first time that an international audience got to see a machine be just as good at knowing things as we are. And I'm kind of wondering if that's the tipping point where people started to think, you know, what is the point of knowing, uh, you know, where Afghanistan is on a map or who the Secretary of State is right now? Like, surely I can just Google all this stuff, right? And that's kind of deeply troubling to me that we might be heading not into the Star Trek utopia that Dr. Ferrucci thought he was building and not the sci-fi one where Hal pushes us out an airlock or Skynet gets the launch codes, but just one where we think of knowing things is not important because there's just too much information out there and our computers will know it for us. As somebody who likes to learn, that's a scary dystopia to me. But even in a world where technology is leveling up day by day, there's just something so powerful and honestly really special about the fact that Jeopardy is still standing the test of time. Jeopardy is the ray of hope there, you know? 230 times a year, every weeknight, like one of the most popular shows on TV is humans admiring other humans, knowing things that they could easily have Googled, you know? What's the largest city in New Mexico? Wow, that guy knew that. He could have pulled out his phone, but he just knew it. It's one of the last spaces left like that, and uh, I'm really proud of that. I think that's important. Next week on This is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. Every year or so, he would call me and say, I just don't think I have it anymore. I don't think as quickly as I used to think. I make mistakes. Maybe it's time for me to just step down. And I would tell him, Alex, you have lost sight of how good you are. This is Jeopardy! The Story of America's Favorite Quiz Show is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Serena Chow and Sylvie Lubau. 
The series producers are Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Susanya Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kolosny. Our theme song was composed by Hannes Brown. Cedric Wilson is our engineer. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all of their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.